Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome into a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you. Planning to get to on this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different, uh, a bit creative, and it comes, fortunately, from one of our listeners. Um, we've had a great time going through the pod, uh, through the Apple podcast uh, reviews and the, the five-star mailbag questions, and um, an idea we thought probably warranted more attention. It's going to really dominate the show. Today, Sean and I, we already determined the order of picks. We're going to draft an 11-man Penn State squad, each of us separately, um, and then we'll put it up for a vote up on the site, see which one you think uh, will ultimately prevail if those two played. The key is there's 11 guys, so you're keeping them on the field, whether it's offense, defense, makes things a little bit trickier for us, should make for a fun listen along the way and some head scratching as well. We'll get to that in a second, but Sean, down in the Nashville, Tennessee area, we've got something still intact on the college football recruiting calendar. It's not an official part of the calendar, but if you cover recruiting, you you come to expect certain camps, certain showcase events over the course of the year, particularly in the spring and the summer. Spring was completely wiped out, but Elite 11 finals are happening right now. The on-field action started on Monday evening as we record here on Tuesday morning, the final morning of June. Some early positive feedback regarding Christian Veyu, who was among those 20 competitors down there. Um, We'll start with this, and we'll get to our draft in a moment, Sean, but Again, it, it is just, it's so awesome to see something familiar happening in college football recruiting. And, and I know how good those guys are that run the Elite 11. And I know how good our guys are at 24-7 Sports at, at getting the information, dissecting it, and, and, and turning it into good analysis. So it should be a fun week. It's it's really an elite eleven like we've never seen before. I mean, you look at uh, the videos that pop up on your timeline, so to speak, and you've got guys that are standing, you know, a hundred yards away trying to film these guys, and it's you know they're they're taking every precaution that they need to. Good to see Christian Veyu made it. I know we had a side conversation last week saying he's coming down uh, from Canada. Hopefully he's able to get there, and he was able to get there, and he had a solid first day just based on what we've heard. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, they didn't throw too much at them. They didn't do uh, uh, really a ton, but you know we saw him among the leaderboards from guys that were watching. So that's uh, that's a positive first step. Got to get in good with the uh, the elite eleven coaches and and show you know sort of the tools that got you there. And I know that this has been something. And I've talked to Christian on the side about this. This has been something he's been you know sort of dreaming of and aiming at for a long time. So to go down make a positive good uh, positive first impression is a good start, and we'll see where he goes from that. We saw some uh, video that popped up uh, he was even running some receiver routes down there so I know that the, the receiver pool in, in Nashville on short notice probably not the best in the world but 
he's an athletic kid, so uh, you know I don't foresee him uh, doing any trick plays or or anything like that anytime soon. But uh, you know, he's they, Penn State's got themselves an athlete, so I'm excited to see how he stacks up over the next couple of days. Like I said, I think the kid's really freaking good. Um, we'll see how he how he measures up with some of those guys across uh, the best across the country or the continent. I guess now that we've added uh, Christian Veiu, so excited to see him progress over the next couple of days, and I know he's you know excited to uh, to compete at that level. Man, I was fully expecting a sarcastic 2021 receiver recruiting comment out of that Christian Veyu observation from you. Didn't happen. That's okay. It's it's um, not from me, but if you check our 2021 thread, I've been beaten to the punch. Uh, somebody says, who says Penn State's receiver recruiting's hurting? I mean, obviously, you've got him catching balls from J.J. McCarthy, who's going to go to Michigan and is playing in IMG this year. So, uh, you know, yeah, you just show a little bit of, uh, of what you got when you get down there. I mean, maybe he's... Uh, uh, you know, we've, we've seen quarterbacks that uh, that have turned into receivers and then turned back into quarterbacks. That's not going to happen with Christian Veyu. He's a quarterback all the way. But if you have that athleticism, something to fall back on is, uh, you know, it just it's it's going to help you out in any way possible. And that athleticism with Veyu is something that Brian Doan has spoken about it. We've discussed it since he committed. Probably an underrated facet of, of what he brings to the position. I think folks look at the measurements, uh, you know, pushing six foot four, 200 pounds. They see that pro style label applied to him. And, and, and unless you turn on that film, which I'm assuming most Penn State fans have seen some film of, of the quarterback commit at this point, then you see, you know, he, he can move around. He can move around behind the line of scrimmage. He can pick up some first downs if he needs to, but he's got some athleticism. And, and you know, a lot of the early stages of the Elite 11 is, you know, who's who showed up ready to roll? You know, th- there's a lot of travel involved. Uh, some, for some, it's easier than others. And, um, you know, who steps on the field, you know, throwing, you know, throwing darts right away? Who's up to the task? Who's not wide-eyed by it? And also, there's there's the eye test. And when you are six foot three and a half, 200 pounds, you're going to look pretty good just among the initial collection of, of, of guys out there. Um, you know, there's going to be some six foot and under quarterbacks in that mix as always. And uh, with the Elite 11, you know, I've talked about this with you before. You've covered it on the regional level. We both have done that. Had a chance for, for three consecutive summers, 14, 15, and 16, to go out to, to Southern California for the Elite 11 finals where, you know, they have uh, you know, almost two dozen quarterbacks out there competing every day. A lot going on behind the scenes that we don't see uh, as much. Much for uh, that you can take away for the on-field stuff. I love what the staff does away from the field during this event. There's a lot in the classroom, uh, led by Trent Dilfer, but this staff has a lot of interesting football minds, quarterback minds who have uh, you know been, been contributing to college programs. They've contributed to NFL programs from an analytical standpoint, from a developmental standpoint, uh, and, and trying to squeeze every ounce of potential you can out of the quarterback position. And uh, so you get kind of that uh, you know rapid fire mental physical challenge at the elite 11 as a quarterback but they also bring in some really uh you know compelling commentary from former quarterbacks they have the counselors out there i think this year uh you know i think i think i read that they've got uh justin fields out there trace mcsorley's been there in the past um you know there's a lot of names that have come through and they come back as counselors and they provide the perspective of what awaits on a college campus because there's a whole different ball game when you're the quarterback showing up to campus, especially some of these elite 11 guys who were talking, you know, five star can't miss prospects for much of their high school career. There's not just a lot of opportunities on campus for you. There's a lot of temptation on campus for you. And that extends to what happens on social media, what happens in your DMs. 
all of this is covered along the way in the 72 hour, you know, incubated quarterback uh, factory. So it, it's, it's really, a, it's an exciting thing. Uh, I'm glad I got to peel back the curtain a little bit in 2016 in particular, sitting in on the discussion. Um, you know, I, I wasn't chiming in on it, but I got to listen to, to Trent Dilfer and his staff kind of narrow down their focus from 20 some guys to the 12 that they would take to the opening finals. You know, that, that's the next step for this group normally would be. You find the best of this bunch, you take them out to the opening finals, which formerly at Nike World headquarters in Oregon, now that's down in Frisco, Texas. Not happening this year, but you know that's where you would find out who the Elite 11 MVP would be. Early things I'm hearing from from what we've seen on Twitter, from just exchanging from some text messages with with someone who's down there, um, certainly sounds like Christian Veiu is is in. You know, if you want to split it into four tiers, in that first tier through day one, you I've seen guys come on strong after day one and and really make you forget about their first night by the end of it. And I've seen guys go the other way and, and their first six, their first night of success seems like a long time ago because they kind of stumble through the next couple of days. So we'll see where it takes Christian. But uh, the other word you hear out of this is that Caleb Williams is kind of on his own platform early on. And that's not necessarily surprising to our listeners the way we've discussed uh, previously Penn State's pursuit of the top quarterback in the country. Penn State has uh, offered 10 quarterbacks in the class of 2021. Uh, Veyu actually is the lowest rated of those guys uh, by the 24-7 composite. Um, seven of them are there. So that's a pretty, seems like a pretty good evaluation job. JJ McCarthy's committed to Michigan. Kyle McCord committed to Ohio State. Miller Moss committed to USC. Garrett Nussmeyer was a guy that they had on campus early. Like, uh, this was an early evaluation before a lot of those schools came in. Uh, of course, he's committed to LSU and you got Veyu. Caleb Williams, obviously, everybody was after Brock Vandegrift, who's committed to Georgia, was committed to Oklahoma early. So a lot of these guys that, uh, you know, have gone through and have done a, you know, our elite quarterbacks. We'll see how they use stacks up. Can't wait to see it by the way. Um, by the way, excuse me. Um, reminder on those camp numbers for Vayu 46740, 425 shuttle, 96 broad. That's a pretty good athletic base mm-hmm. to work with at about 6'4, 200 pounds. So, um, excited to see how that translates over and maybe, you know, maybe he shakes the statue standing label and, and, and shows some accuracy. And, you know, I'm not sure, uh, how close we can get, uh, from a 24 seven sports perspective, but, you know, we, we take that feedback from the 20 or from the Elite 11 staff. I mean, they know a heck of a lot about quarterbacks and, uh, you know, they've played, uh, you know, played, played at a high level. So, We'll continue to see that. We'll see if it affects his ranking, but uh, good start so far for Christian. Steve Wiltfong and, and kind of breaking down what to anticipate from this week did mention that Veyu is, is one of those quarterbacks here looking to get that uh, elevation from three-star status to four-star status when it comes to 24-7 sports. Now, he is a four-star in the composite. 247 has him as a high three-star. Uh, Wiltfong says their, their question with him is production and processing. Um, he says, you know, they're not going to get an answer to the production aspect answered in Nashville, but certainly going to get insight on the processing ability. That's that's a lot of what they're feeding those quarterbacks in the classroom, as I talked about at the Elite 11, and then how it shows up when they're running through drills. They amplify the pressure 
over the course of, of these days, and, and they really put them, they, you know, they want to see them uh, be coachable. They don't want to see them and just go out and rely on arm talent and rely on what's, what has worked for them at the high school level. They want to see how it reflects when you get into a college system and you're told, this is how we do it. This is how you need to orchestrate the offense. And if you can't do that, you can't be our starting quarterback. So last year, Veyu, 51% pass completion at the Bullis School, 2,000 yards, 29 touchdowns. And I remember just uh, seemingly yesterday, uh, former Bullis School quarterback Dwayne Haskins made a, made a strong bid for Elite 11 MVP. I would say he was one of the top three or four competitors the year Shea Patterson ultimately won MVP. Um, now, there is quite a history, Sean, uh, with Elite 11 quarterbacks uh, in these finals who are committed to Penn State. It's a mixed bag. You go back to 2012, Christian Hackenberg was a headliner at that event. He was certainly a head turner in his commitment to Penn State at that stage of the program's uh, development and, and the program's rebound. Uh, 2014, Brandon Wimbush representing Penn State at the Elite 11 finals. Later on, committed to uh, Notre Dame, flipped his commitment. 15, Jake Zembeck did not make the Elite 11. Uh, he's the only guy uh, among this group. Actually, I'll get to one more who didn't make the Elite 11, but he was a finalist out there. Uh, Sean Clifford in 16, a guy who, because of, of what was going on around him, I think, he, he was lost in the shuffle. Tua Tagovailoa stole the show out there. Jake Fromm was very good. Tate Martell was in the spotlight because he always seemed to be in the spotlight. But Sean Clifford, I would say, uh, was a strong performer out there. I think he convinced a lot of people that he could make it at a program like Penn State. Here he is as a year two starter. 17 is the one that's going to rub everybody the wrong way. Justin Fields went out there, Elite 11 finals. Trace McSorley was a counselor. You talked about you know, a lot of things being in place for him. Meanwhile, though, programs were knocking on his door, trying to get that him to flip his commitment from Penn State. Right after he got that invite to the opening finals uh, at the Elite 11 finals and, and was a top performer out there, I think two or three days later, he announced he was no longer committed to Penn State. Uh, about a month later, he went out and won Elite 11 MVP uh, at the opening finals. Michael Johnson Jr., 2018, one of the two quarterbacks who signed with Penn State in 19, along with Taquan Roberson. He, like Zembeck, did not make the, the final cut. Um, and like Zembeck, never really saw the field for Penn State in a meaningful way. Uh, Michael Johnson moving on from the program. And now you got Christian Veyu. So there's the rundown. And I think that illustrates what the Elite 11 is about in a, a kind of in a microcosm, Sean. It is a mixed bag. You are not guaranteed to be a college football star because you go out to the Elite 11. And we've seen guys, you know, ultimately outplay maybe what they did at the at the Elite 11 over time. And, you know, the big miss there is Justin Fields. That's one that's always going to hurt Penn State fans. And I, uh, Brandon Wimbush, you know, I, I kind of reviewing his career, you know, kind of on the flip side. What did you really lose from not getting Brandon Wimbush when you kind of retroactively uh, see what he did at Central Florida and Notre Dame? Well, we got the lion position. I mean, you know, if he if he's Tommy here, Stevens then Tommy Stevens him, yeah. is not. Tommy Stevens goes to Indiana. The dominoes fall, and we don't get a lion position, which is one of the most versatile positions we've ever seen at Penn State, which takes us right into the next level. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, thanks to uh, <laughs> Nittany Lion Fan 7 for, for setting this up or setting the stage. Uh, I like to think of it as a tribute to Necessary Roughness, the greatest um, football movie made about the SMU or based on the SMU scandal in history. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie version. I know that the, you know, that the Scott Bakula and, and Paul, as Paul Blake is one of the greatest characters of all time. Wally Rigendorf, uh, former Penn State assistant, according to the movie, recruited him to Penn State. He never showed up. I, 
I, I don't have to tell most of our listeners because I know our, most of our listeners are good people and have seen the movie. But have you seen this movie? <laughs> I don't think I have. Oh my gosh! No, That's, I uh, don't think I have. Wow, you will be dragged for that, rightfully so. If, uh, we're, if we're scratching for content, we'll just have a viewing party, and people can listen to us watch I, the movie. I sometime. love it. I've got it on VHS <laughs> somewhere. Um, great movie in terms of what it is. Just a cheesy ass. Uh, I, I don't know what to. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it. But anyway, the premise is the football program gets blown up like an SMU, and there's still a football team, but they, of course, you know. They're light on numbers. They're light on talent. Jason, a young Jason Bateman's a running back, if that tells you anything. Oh, my. Um, but, uh, yeah, they have to play both ways. And that's what the base of this question, Ironman football, guys that can play both ways. Penn State's got a bunch of them. Uh, just looking over the roster last night, we're talking about the most talented guys that can go both ways. And when you do that, you put one guy at the top. And we flipped a coin. We didn't just flip a coin to see who went first. We flipped a coin to see who got Micah Parsons. And the reason I'm talking so much and the reason I'm boasting so much is because I got heads and I win Micah Parsons. And he's my first overall <laughs> Are pick. Are you sure? Are you sure? Is that I'm, your final answer? I'll go, I'll go with that. I mean, it's, uh, you know, one of the best two-way players in Pennsylvania high school history. Um, you know, he's he's obviously, you know, uh, grown from five-star into college football America. I mean, the, de- the development, it's, it's interesting because, you know, him as a five-star, you know, not all those guys pan out, but he seemed like a fairly safe choice to do so. You know, he was rated as a defensive end. He has panned out as a linebacker. And it, it's it's interesting to me, Micah Parsons is so good as a linebacker, and he's still not the most technically sound guy that you'll ever find. Um, he can do things on a football field really amazing that he shouldn't be able to do just based on the technical side of the game. And that's, you know, the, that's the sign of a transcendent talent. So, I mean, you get Micah Parsons in there. I mean, any any draft that we do, whether it's a full team draft or an Ironman draft or something like that, Micah Parsons has got to be the guy. It's just been fascinating to watch his development, uh, and I think it's a, I think it's a tribute to Brent Pry because you you talk about a guy that never really played linebacker before. You put him in there, and now going into his junior season, which should be his final season, he's an All American for everybody. He's National Defensive Player of the Year watch list candidate, all that kind of stuff, and legitimate candidate. Um, so. I mean, I don't think there's any question about it. This guy is the best football player on the team, uh, either side of the ball. And, and I think he could, you know, be an effective running back at this level. So I'm going to take him and I think I'll stash him at running back. There's a bunch of guys that you could play D back, running back, linebacker, running back, all that. But when you get a chance to get Parsons, you got to take him. Congratulations on that. 1200 rushing yards. That's almost 12 per carry as a senior at Harrisburg High School. 29 touchdowns along the way. Yes, he did return kicks at Harrisburg. He also punted. That's the one thing I've seen Micah Parsons do that he was not very good at was punting, but I don't think you'll need him for that, Sean. And uh, yeah, a a nice addition for you, the centerpiece. If that feels like the LeBron pick, there was no need to discuss it. Um, And number one is off the board. And I'm going to go to the other guys getting all the preseason All-American buzz. And Pat Fryermuth, uh, a player who up in Massachusetts was an All-State linebacker. He had three defensive touchdowns as a senior. And I know what I'm getting out of him at tight end. I know he can move around the field. And um, by the way, I should preface, uh, I should have prefaced all the picks by saying there is no restriction to what we can do with our personnel packages. Of course, we need five offensive linemen here, 
But if you want to run a two tight end set as your foundation, go for it. Um, we're we're going to do our best once we actually have these teams assembled to write out our offense and defensive personnel, get it up on the site later this week. And again, uh, throw it out to the masses to make fun of or, or to compliment us, whichever route that goes, probably a little bit of both. But uh, Fryermuth off the board to me, Parsons off the board to you, and we're on to round two, Sean. I'm I'm stunned. Uh, I'll be honest with you. And I know there's probably listeners out there saying, take him, take him, take him. So I'm going to take him. I'm going to take Jason away, away from you. Woo, I damn. I assume that would be. Thought I had number, a little more time. I would assume that it'd be your, <laughs> your number one pick overall. And it's partially because he's so athletic. You can do things. Remember, he worked out at the opening a couple of years ago as a tight end. And I think with that's. With Zach Koontz and Pat Fryermuth in the same group. And he got lost in the shuffle, but still yeah. the athleticism was there and you could see it. And I think that's probably one reason he didn't get invited to the opening final is because he was in a tight end group. There were guys that were more talented than him for that position. And uh, But uh, I, I'm going to take him just, just to spite you, I guess I'll say that. So he's my well, fair he's, enough. He's my tight end D-end. And I know that that uh, may put me in a bind a little bit later with, uh, with some offensive linemen. But just to see that look on your face is all that I need. Well, I'll tell you what. It, it, it was funny watching him out there at tight end. I think he made that decision the morning of. He was supposed to work with the defensive lineman. He sent like a late email to the uh, the opening staff and was like, "Can I work at tight end?" Remember, this was he had like eight games ever in a unif- in a football uniform to his credit. And then afterwards, I, I speak with the tight ends coach at the opening. He says, it "Reminds me a little bit of David Njoku." That's what I'm like. This kid is a heck of an athlete. He's not even doing much at, 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 out in these drills, and he's getting a comparison to a, a first round NFL draft draft pick so away Parsons that's a good starting point for you I'm going to also look to the trenches I'm going to also look to that 2018 recruiting class and take Rashid Walker with my number two pick he's going to be my my foundation my anchor in the trenches at offensive tackle going to play defensive line he was a two-time all-state defensive lineman down in Virginia 11 sacks as a senior Uh, I loved his aggressiveness down in high school watching him on both sides of the ball so uh, take take uh, the, the first big man 300 plus pounder off the board here and give him the me with Rasheed Walker. I, I think Rasheed Walker's in for a big year. Um, he's just, he's got everything you want in a franchise left tackle, um, obviously going into his third year of eligibility. So that's something to watch. But I mean, he's got, uh, you know, if he, if this offensive line takes the next step, I think Rasheed Walker is going to be a really big part of it. So I like your pick. I, uh, you know, hope to get him later uh, in the draft, but uh, here we are. How's um, it feel? I just experienced that. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> mine was a little more personal and vindictive so yeah yeah yeah. so that's that's really what matters to me i'm gonna stay on the offensive line michael minute uh playing center uh his defensive tape in high school and his offensive line tape was really good in high school his defensive line tape may have been better i mean this is one of the better two-way players that i've seen come into the program and he was such an athlete uh down there at exeter uh in berks county and obviously he was better than his competition down there but still just I, I think he could have played uh you know at the power five level on the defensive line so i i, I really like michael Mennett. the um uh you know the athleticism has always been there i think he's also going to have a really good year i think he's going to be in the mix for the remington this year um and and when he gets going i mean there, there aren't two i mean you look at him he doesn't you know physically overwhelm you or anything like that but Really good football player, terrific athlete. Remember back when he was in camp uh, running four, three shuttles, you know, just no problem. Um, I think I still had Vine at that point, and that was my most viewed Vine of all time is him watching or him running a shuttle. Um, but uh, yeah, take take me back. <laughs> I remember man. Vine. I remember trying to get the, what was it, like eight second clips at the opening and just 
trying to get him up frequent fire. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So Menet Menet's a really good athlete, and I'm 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 really happy to, to to grab him here because you know I think he's going to be the anchor of this offensive line, no doubt about it. And, and his veteran presence, you know, regardless of my team, his veteran presence is really going to help Penn State out, and re- really going to help Phil Troutwine make that uh, transition this year. That would have been my pick if you if you went back to me with Menet on the board, I would have taken him paired him up with Rasheed Walker on the offensive line. And I actually wrote the stats down here as an upperclassman um, in high school, 140 tackles and 18 sacks. He was a two-time conference defensive lineman of the year and the top rated uh, offensive lineman that Penn State has signed under James Franklin. That still holds true. Um, I'm going to go, you got your running back in Micah Parsons. I'm going to go a little bit more traditional at the position and take Journey Brown, a guy who last summer, if we were doing this draft, don't know if either one of us would have picked the guy. And, and now uh, he was sitting pretty high on, on, on my board here. We'll find a spot for him in the defensive backfield, but Considering the way he finished off his 2019 season, the expectations that are in place from the B, maybe a top five running back in the entire country, uh, I'll I'll go with him in my backfield and, and work my way from there. Yeah, no, I like the pick. Um, Journey's so athletic. It's funny. I, I was Twitter searching Journey Brown this week for something for a tweet that I saw a long time ago, and something else popped up that there was previewing Penn State's backfield last year and didn't even mention Journey Brown. And mm. a lot of the the players at that point or the players on the roster jumped on that tweet and said, yo, you got you to gotta pay attention to this guy. And they didn't say it as nicely as that. Um, but it was uh, it was really interesting to see where he was a year ago versus where he's at right now, which is getting national award accolades, getting, uh, you know, the, the, the type of All-American, All-Big Ten hype um, that comes with the way that he closed that season. So, I mean, wh- where are you putting him on defense? It's hard to say, but for a guy that runs a 4-3 and, and he's put together, I, I think a lot of people think Journey Brown's a small guy. He's he's pretty well put together. We talked about that on the episode, I think, oh, last yeah. week where, where that running back room has added some bulk and still pretty athletic. So I don't blame you one bit um, for taking Journey Brown. I'm going to stay on the line and take the guy that's actually played both sides during his Penn State career. I know where you're going. CJ Thorpe, man. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I think he's going to have a really good year at guard. I think that this running scheme, this zone running scheme is going to really – uh, to take him to the next level. And we've seen him play defensive tackle. He didn't break the rotation or anything like that. But if you're good enough where you can make that flip, they're not going to use you on the offensive line where you can make that flip to, uh, to get, uh, you know, to, I guess, play to either side of the ball in the Big Ten. That's saying something. So I like what uh, what, what C.J. Thorpe brings to the table on both sides of the ball. And like I said, I think he's going to have a, a really good year. They're going to be asked to run the ball. And C.J. Thorpe, you know, loves to hear that. You've got your resident ass kicker on the team. Congratulations. And, and CJ Thorpe, you know, again, played a defensive tackle against Ohio State, played at offensive guard against Ohio State. Uh, that is rare territory. And it, it made him definitely a guy that stood out as we prepared for this. I'm going to double dip here, but maybe not quite as much as some people think because Devin Ford can play wide receiver. And I'll see how my roster comes together, but maybe I get a two-back set with Devin Ford. Journey Brown would love it. The reason I go Ford over Kane here is because I think Ford does have that more dynamic ability as a pass catcher. It's something that we saw from him uh, during his prep career. And also, he was seriously considered by some Power 5 programs as a safety. I know some schools actually valued him more as a potential defensive back than as a running back. Um, So, you know, I follow up the Journey Brown pick with going Devin Ford. And a big reason why I value him this much is because he has the versatility we're looking for in a draft like this. I I don't blame you one bit. Devin Ford was was a guy that I was like, 
how high can I take him? He's the third string <laughs> running back, but I want to take him because I know how good of a football player he is. As you know, I'm I'm team Ford, you're team Kane. We go back and forth all the time. And and I think Ford is is a tremendous back. I think he's gonna, you know, he has the talent to be really, really good. So I uh I, I'm all with you. I don't know if that was a personal pick back at me, but uh I like it. I'm 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 happy for that one. If you think it might have been, then then let's say it was. All right, great, great. I'm gonna stick with uh I'm I'm gonna move to the outside um for receiver but i'm gonna make him a safety naturally because you know the the penn state's defensive backs are probably as athletic as as some of those guys on the other side of the ball but jaquan brisker maybe comes out of nowhere but i saw him at camp a couple of years ago at team camp as a wide receiver and this kid just went up and you know he had all the makings of a guy that you can go out there and play at wide receiver at this level i i I just think back you know, catching balls in guys' faces and letting them know about it. Um, he's got the ability to uh, to play on both sides of the ball and hearing really good things about him since he got back to camp. He's about 210 pounds now. Um, really excited to see him take off and see where that, uh, that next level is for him because I think he can be really good. You talk about having that bark and something that the wide receiver group at Penn State has seemingly lacked on game days is, is that mental edge, that alpha personality. How many times have we kind of pointed to that with different guys the last couple of years? The funny thing about it is these defensive backs, they may not have the, uh, the, flu- the fluidness and the smoothness as receivers. But you move on the other side of the ball, they're still going to have that that dog mentality, as they like to say, at the defensive backfield. And uh, I like how that translates. And I'm going to go in a similar direction here. But a guy who I think has proven a little bit more at the wide receiver spot, Keaton Ellis, uh, sophomore, fighting to start this year, started the regular season finale last year. He's going to play cornerback for me, of course, but he's going to play wide receiver. He's going to maybe be my top target at wide receiver. Um, He's a guy who coming into college, there was some conversation about his fit on offense, particularly after he returned from that thumb injury in high school and lit it up as a senior 1400 all-purpose yards 15 touchdown catches on 50 receptions Um, again I feel like I feel like he's one player when I looked I didn't see a drop off when he moved from one side of the field to the other potentially Uh, so I kind of fell in love with making this pick and I'm glad I got to Wow, that's an interesting pick. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I was looking for something along the same lines, and I'll, I'll go with my next pick. I'm going to take Marquise Wilson. And I he know was next on my list. That, I had to decide between those two. That was a. Uh, you just look at this kid, and and he he's the ball skills are there, and you can see it. You saw that at the end of the year last year. He you know he closed out with a couple of turnovers, can find the ball. You look back to his high school highlights, and he missed his entire senior season after a transfer, so we didn't get to see a senior season. But in his junior season just looks so natural with the ball in his hands, whether that be a returner, whether that be a receiver, uh, just a really good football player. And it's going to be interesting because I think we're going to, we're going to pick, uh, the two redshirt freshman corners and may leave Tariq Castro Fields on the board here. Uh, Tariq Castro Fields is, you know, a heck of an athlete. I don't know what, how he would translate to receiver, but I think these two certainly can translate to receiver. So the ball skills of Marquise Wilson, I'll put him at corner, but obviously, uh, as a receiver, I think he, he you know, he, he really helps out that team. Yeah, Marquise Wilson, 20-plus yards per catch his last high school season, and that, that's what stood out about those guys compared to Castro Fields, who, you know, he was a blue-chip cornerback coming out of high school, and, and we've seen him play every year on campus here, and, and a lot, but uh, yeah, those two, I just felt like the there was a little bit more maybe guaranteed or maybe a, a higher floor for them at wide receiver, hypothetically, because that's what this is. I'm going to go back to the offensive line. We, we've been talking perimeter guys here, last couple of picks. P.J. Mustafer. 
Uh, he's going to play, of course, on the defensive line, and, and I'm going to trust his ability to get it done on the offensive front as well. I like the uh, he can re- you can reach out to his older brother Sam, multi-year team captain at center for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. That can help him, but uh, I, I'm pretty. I talk about a high floor. That's who PJ Mustafer is to me, and he's a guy who I think could really take off in 2020. And, and we may be talking about him as an early NFL draft entry when it's all said and done. Um, I, that was my next pick. So you left there me you scrambling. Um, <laughs> Mustafer, it was a no-brainer at that point. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's got all Big Ten potential at defensive tackle this year, and I'm really excited to see the strides that he's able to make as a full-time starter. Played a lot last year, but uh, it's got a lot going for him. And you know, he's I think he's one of those guys that you know you can build this team around, build the program around for the next two years. So excited to see the next step that he takes. I'm going to take first quarterback off the board here, and I'm going to go a little bit different um, because I think he could be a heck of a linebacker, but Will Levis is my guy. Um, I mean, you just look at the quarterback room and what's there, and Will Levis is different. I mean, he's very different from a size perspective, uh, a physicality perspective, and no no disrespect to those other guys. And now Michael Johnson Jr. is out of the room, so you lose a lot of the best athlete that's, uh, you know, the best all-around athlete that's in there. So Levis, I mean, line him up next to Micah Parsons. That sounds pretty good to me. So I I don't know that we see much uh, of Levis. I'm excited to see the strides that he can make under Kirk Shiraka's. Got to improve that accuracy, no doubt about it. Has the huge arm, but... Uh, he's the hammer, man, and he's got that celebration too. So I want that on my squad. It sounds like a lot of pain in that backfield between between those two bruisers. And and I will I agree with you. I kind of was like, do I take Levis or do I take Clifford? I I I really had Levis just slightly ahead because I I can see him dropping that hammer at linebacker as well. Uh, Clifford, I, I you know we'll see what I do at quarterback, but I'm not in any rush now. Um, so next up, I'm I'm, I'm gonna go to a. We've picked no real wide receiver, which if you listen to the podcast, I guess that's not much of a surprise. We're in around seven now, um, and I'm going to take the first true wide receiver off the board um, in Jahan Dotson. Um, I'm also going to probably pair him up with Keaton Ellis at cornerback, and um, he's always been a guy dating back to his earliest days as a, as a, as a high-profile prospect where you love the footwork from Jahan Dotson, a guy who always looks smooth, was never the the, the straight-line speedster that, that wowed everybody in a 40-yard down. But I like how he's progressed. He's really become uh, more physically impressive, as you'd expect over the course of his career. And uh, he gives you some versatility at the wide receiver spot. He's played a couple positions. We're going to see him move around the field here in 2020. There's no doubt about it. So I like how things are working out at wide receiver for me. Keaton Ellis, uh, Jahan Dotson, and potentially Devin Ford, because I've already got Journey Brown on board. Yeah, I mean, that's... uh... It's a good pick. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's he was such a good player in high school. Uh, I think we kind of forget about that because w- when he was being recruited, we fell into that trap of uh, the testing numbers aren't there. The, the film is fantastic. The testing numbers aren't there. The measurables are, aren't great. Um, but he was a really uh, terrific player at Nazareth. So, I mean, I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to take another personal pick here and take Caden Wallace on the uh, offensive line. Nice pick. I, I need some 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 big guys in there, and we're, we're kind of running out. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Wallace, I, 
I, you would know this better than I. Wallace, was he a defensive player at Hun? I, I don't recall him doing too much. If he was, much. it wasn't something that came up in conversation. Um, I, I know that I, I, I think for, with him it was primary. It was an offensive line situation. I don't. I, that's not a huge roster at the Hun School, so I, I'm kind of surprised that if he didn't. But it wasn't anything that was noted during his recruitment, during our conversations, or noted in his Penn State bio. Yeah. So I, I just, uh, I don't know if I don't know if he can play defense. So you, gotta but, to, you might have to coach him up on the defensive front Sean. yeah and this is this is one of those storylines that that we're following very closely because we know that he's a very talented kid we know how high they were on him last year they were going to play him and then pulled back and and just ended up playing in four games last year so uh, I'm kind of uh, interested to see where he goes at tackle then eventually at guard I still think his best position's on the interior but uh, you know he's got some length he's got some tackle to him uh, Will Fries has been up and down and and this is another instance where we're taking a young um, potential guy over an established veteran but you know you look at a, a guy that could potentially both play both ways and, and Wallace fits that bill so I, I'm, I'm curious to see what kind of strides he can make um, you know it's it's tough to forecast whether or not you know he's a sixth offensive lineman this year seventh offensive lineman this year I I think he's very talented I think it's gonna be tough to keep him off the field especially in a sense where if they do end up going into a rotation of some sort I think Wallace is is gonna factor in somehow I don't know how but somehow there are some luxury picks on the board right now that I would love to uh, indulge in but I'm gonna Go line because you're right. It, it, that well runs dry pretty quickly. And I'm going to go with a known commodity on both sides of the ball. Going to ha- take a healthy mindset here for, for Juice Scruggs because he, that seems to be the report from everybody within the program that he is on track to contribute to this football team in 2020. Maybe be that heir apparent at the center position. Defensive line in high school for a powerhouse program in Pennsylvania, he was he was really impressive. I mean, 22 tackles for loss, nine sacks as an upperclassman. James Franklin uh, recounted the story on, on signing day 2018 about him and the staff watching the state championship game and unequivocally stating Juice Scruggs was the best player on either side of the ball, whether he was on defense, offense, uh, lineman of the year, the top-ranked lineman out of Pennsylvania coming onto campus. I think we would have seen him in action quite a bit last year, maybe factor into the guard competition last year if he was healthy. A uh, year and a half now almost removed from that car accident. Uh, from what I've heard, feel comfortable making this pick and, and I'm going to invest in Juice Krug's future. You just hope he's there. Um, you know, and he doesn't have to be like, that's the thing. They, they've got depth on that in that interior, but adding a player like Juice Scruggs healthy into that mix is going to make it that much better. And I think that's one reason if you take a look at Caden Wallace, the guy that I drafted last, if he, you know, doesn't factor into the interior, it's probably because Juice Scruggs is healthy. He's in there. I think he's probably the heir apparent to Michael Mennon at center. Um, and if he can t- continue to be, you know, the guy that he was as, you know, his it, during his uh, freshman season on the scout team, I think that they've got something there in Juice Scruggs. And, and you're right. I mean, best one of the best two-way linemen that I've seen in Pennsylvania, um, you know, won a couple of state titles. So he's, he's got a lot of things going for him. Uh, I'm going to stay on the offensive line because that that well is running dry. Des Holmes is an interesting guy. Um, I know he's he's not projected as a starter. Was going to be the left guard. Uh, you know, M- Michael Mennon had some some injury issues in the spring. Um, so Holmes was a guy that you were looking at to to get first team reps as as a left guard. I remember going back the very start of his recruitment when he was Desmond Holmes uh, back in the day, and he was you know growing at 
a ridiculous rate. I think when I started covering him, he was about six three, and now he's you know six five plus. Um, but he was you know a, a defensive tackle, a guy that uh, you know I remember. I think Towson was was in on him first, and you know he was always update me with his offers, and you know he just steadily continued to pick it up. Penn State got him in camp, saw something that they liked, and and, and I like him too. I think he can play tackle. I think he can play guard. I think he's just a versatile guy, and then you could flip him over and, and put him in the middle of your defense, but. I'm curious to see what kind of role, you know, I go back to Wallace and uh, and Holmes. I'm curious to see how that shakes out because in the, in the past they've played three offensive tackles and sort of rotated them in there. Um, Holmes was that third tackle last year. Is Wallace that third tackle? Is Holmes uh, going back into guard? There's so many things that they can do. And, you know, we, we say the numbers are getting thin here in our draft, but the numbers are actually pretty good in that room. So I'm, I'm curious to see how those rotations all work out. I think the starting five, fairly in stone I mean you, you got some questions there at left guard with Michael Miranda is he is he the outright starter or is there some sort of rotation going in there but you got Walker you got Mennett uh, CJ Thorpe I think you know while he wasn't a full-time starter last year I think is in line to be a full-time starter and I and I do think Fries is going to be the starter at right tackle so there's a lot uh, that they can do but you've got a new coach you've got a new a fresh set of eyes on that group and and see what he likes about them this is getting tough, man. This is <laughs> to have half your team uh, be, be on the offensive line is 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 tough, and uh, man, this is this is interesting. Um, I, I, I'm going to still. I need a linebacker because right now I'm looking at potentially playing two offensive players at linebacker. I'm going to go with with Brandon Smith. Five star coming in last year, certainly flashed at times, um, and we're anticipating he's going to step up as a starter uh, in place of Cam Brown here in 2020. And and you know we'll see. Maybe he's maybe when Micah Parsons leaves, he's that he's that franchise name at linebacker. He's he's a interesting personality, interesting player. Swiss Army knife was the phrase that was tossed around by folks I talked to when he got his offer as a as a sophomore. They were saying teams were looking at him as a linebacker, as a defensive end, his own. High High school team really considered moving him to defensive end. Uh, looking at him at almost some some people talked about tight end. Some talked about can we, can he get bigger and play offensive tackle? He may need to do that for my team. I don't know. Looking at my roster, but I'm going with Brandon Smith. Um, and, and and this may be a bit of a luxury pick that that bites me in the butt. But I need some kind of defensive force at the center of my group. All due respect to what maybe Pat Fryermuth and Journey Brown can bring to the defense. I got to get someone who, who's who's totally aligned. Uh, defensively and I'll figure out the rest for him where he fits on offense yeah no you've got uh, you've got options there I'm going to flip back over. I have two picks left, I believe, uh, if I count yeah, it right. Yeah, we're in around 10. Math is not my strong suit. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go with a guy that I've heard a lot of great things about. And you know that we loved him as a two-way player in high school. And that's Keandre Lambert uh, as my third receiver and another defensive back. Can he play corner? Can he play safety? I'll just say yes in general. I uh, was really, really good in high school. Also as a return man. So w- when, you got it, when you made a pick like Devin Ford, that's where I th- – think you're going that's where I'm going with with yep. Keandre Lambert I, I think he's going to be a stud at receiver and I think he could you know if he could play uh, defensive back at the power five level he's I think he's that good of an athlete I think he's that versatile and I think he's a guy that uh, you know we hear from sooner rather than later I'm really excited to, uh, to for his career to get on track because I think he's a really good football player okay um, I'm looking at the line here because I need to and, and first guy I'm looking at um 
you know, I'm going to go with someone with more ceiling and, and a little bit more physical work to do. Adiza Isaac, um, because, the, you know, the weight he's put on in, in, a, in a tremendous way so far at Penn State, everything we hear about this kid on the defensive side of the football, let's see how far we can take that physical projection because he's going to have to play offensive line for me. Um, very much a guy you're hearing bunched in with Jason Owe entering the 2020 preseason conversation and, uh, uh, someone that I had to wrestle with this one. There seems to be a safer pick, and I'll tell it to you after we, we wrap up and, and talk about some of these things. But I, I'm going to go with the high ceiling here, and Adiza Isaac has one of the highest ceilings on this roster. Yeah, I, I he was one of the two guys I was looking at. Um, kind of got to figure out how to make this this thing work um, because you've got – I need another offensive well, lineman. Well, the good news is we're playing each other's teams. So yeah, we're exactly. going to both have some shortcomings here. Yeah, yeah, we're both running five twos with uh, – <laughs> yeah, anyway, I'm going to go along those same lines for my final pick. Smith Vilbert, um, I know I know he's not a starter, um, but the, the first time I saw this kid uh, in a Penn State function or whatnot – was last summer I think it lived for life or no it was last summer at camp one of the camps that he was at just hanging out I'm like this kid looks like a first round pick at offensive tackle I mean just when he comes in he's got this big frame he's got everything that you you look for and I actually was sitting there chatting with some Penn State coaches and they're like yeah I mean that's the dream like to, to find a guy like that to build him up to an offensive tackle uh there there's something there so I'm going to take him as an offensive lineman I'm also going to take him as a linebacker I think he can move around pretty well um his role this year I'm kind of on the fence about I think he's more in the four five when you talk about uh defensive end rotation you you know you've got Tony Isaac and Owe who you think are going to be those guys and then four five uh Shane Simmons and Smith Vilbert I mean can Shane Simmons take that next step it's hard to say but I think Smith Vilbert can as well so they're excited about what they've seen from him they're excited about the the type of prospect he is maybe more of a stash and the fact that he's just got this massive frame that you can do pretty much whatever you want with and and you know I could see him as an offensive lineman I don't see that happening in his career but you know if you're playing on what NCAA 14 or something you bring in a guy like that and you think okay I can I can customize him and make him an offensive lineman Smith Vilbert's going to be the base of what you work with with a guy like that because he's uh, just a from a from a scout's perspective absolutely beautiful frame and athletic base to work with Eight, nine, ten, and I'm just counting here. That's your final pick, Sean. And, yeah, that's uh, my final pick, and you don't have a quarterback, so I don't have a quarterback. And I'm thinking, how far can Noah Kane throw the ball? Because, but I guess if I can get Kane Brown and Ford on one team, that would be something, wouldn't it? But I, I got to do right by my wide receivers, Dotson, Ford. Ellis and I'll give him Sean Clifford to play fetch with. So I'll take Clifford as Mr. Irrelevant of this draft. Uh, of course, 22 players and, and man, looking at the board, Noah Kane to me is, is, is the guy that, that stands out here. I'm sure we will get some, some comments about not having Kane. Again, we have to have some offensive linemen. I'm looking at the likelihood of needing to find a fit for Brandon Smith at tackle on my team right now. So that's not great. He's got length. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, we got some starting point right there, but I need him to play linebacker too. But I look at Noah Kane as a big uh, absence from our rosters. Another guy who stands out to me, you want to talk about a two-way beast and absolutely dominant in high school, Lamont Wade. 2,300 rushing yards as a high school senior, 40 touchdowns as a senior, more than 7,000 rushing yards, 117 touchdowns in high school. 
And by the way, he was an awesome defensive back uh, along the way. He seems like a, a, a big miss uh, on on these rosters. Miss isn't the right word, but a notable absence. I think among those, uh, I thought we may go a little bit deeper into the 2020 class. Not surprised that Keandre Lambert was the first guy off the board. I had him as the first guy, but Curtis Jacobs, you know, we've talked about, you, you said it before, you know, among this group, he's the best guy on the field, whichever field he, he's with. Now that's going to change when he makes the jump and, and competes on a Penn State level. But wide receiver, safety, linebacker, a lot to like about him. And he's a five-star talent. Keziah Holmes, I thought, much like Devin Ford, a guy who drew interest at wide receiver during his recruitment process, broke into the starting lineup in high school at safety. Uh, He's a name that stood out to me. And I was just curious about Theo Johnson because he, he's got that kind of body that you can line him up on both sides of the ball and and be curious about what you get. But those were some names that stood out to me. And, and Daniel George as well, which by the way, Sean, did we pick one? No, we picked two wide receivers, two true wide receivers off of this roster, unless I'm mistaken. I got uh, Dotson, you got Lambert. Uh, to me, Daniel George, I remember James Franklin and I remember Daniel George's high school coach saying this right around signing day, they felt like he had the goods to be a power five level safety if that's the route he chose to go. Daniel George, to me, maybe the biggest X factor in that wide receiver room in terms of a guy who, if he puts it together, can go a long way for the group. And if he doesn't, it could mean uh, some pretty significant setbacks overall for that wide receiver room. Um, But there's there's a bunch of names I threw your way. What do you think about what we left on the board here? Uh, George was one guy that I was watching the entire time, and I just I wanted to take Lambert and talk about him because you got to get that hype train going, I guess. Uh, <laughs> George looks like a line, you know, a power five linebacker. I mean, he's just uh, in terms of frame, in terms of athleticism, you know, you you hope he turns it on. I mean, the, the off season has sort of been his peak the last couple of years, and you look at him physically and you understand why because this kid is a, is a specimen. But he's got to take that next step there. It, it's interesting to me what you can lean from this. And I'm not sure if people have already skipped forward. uh, But I mean, you've got an opportunity to look at this roster as a whole. And I think you can kind of find, uh, you know, the balance or, or the imbalance. I mean, I think it's a fairly balanced roster, but you can find the imbalance of of those position groups. So we're taking DBs over receivers at receiver. We're taking offensive linemen, you know, as defensive tackles. So, you know, maybe not as deep. We know the numbers are there, but maybe not as deep. So you just look around at this at this group and, and see where the strengths are, see where the weakness are. And this is something that sort of amplifies that I agree with Wade. Um, unfortunately, I, I just took one running back, and you know Wade as a running back playing at that single A level at Clareton was was a special talent. Um, but when I got Micah Parsons as my running back, sorry to everyone else, I just wasn't considering taking another one. Tyler <laughs> Tyler Elston, speaking of that 2020 class, Tyler Elston was a guy um, that obviously uh, you know had had a good two way career. Yeah. Um, you know he's he's. You know, I think he can be a really good player here. Charlie Catcher had a fantastic two-way career at Cumberland Valley. Um, you know, still the backup to Micah Parsons, so he's not going to really play that much. Cam Sullivan Brown's a guy that we've always talked about potentially flipping to safety. I don't see that happening. And then Judge Culpepper. Um, you know, he, he was he a t- was a compelling guy for because he played tight end, he right? Was a I mean, tight, he was a, he he was a, a heck end. of a tight end. Yeah, he was a tight end to start out with as a as a prospect, and then sort of. Built now into a, a defensive end. Yeah. Now he's <laughs> definitely a defensive tackle. So, um, but that's good. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about 22 guys that we drafted and there's probably another 10 guys that you can make an argument for in terms of two way players. And that's something when, when college coaches go out and look at the film, 
they're not just looking at a receiver playing receiver. They want to see a receiver, you know, playing defensive back. I mentioned Keandre Lambert, uh, you know, just doing all the things that, you know, you can do. Devin Ford was a pick earlier in, in the way. Daquan Hardy, by the way, uh, we didn't talk about. Uh, oh at my corner, gosh, rece- you know, you put him in yeah. this. I think he plays a lot at this level. I don't know that he's going to be a KJ Hamler or anything like that, but, you know, you, you maybe need something from somebody. And, and, and Hardy's just a really, really good football player. So you've got a bunch of guys on this roster that, that, that really can provide you with that p- uh, positional fle- flexibility. And, we follow them on the recruiting trail. That's something that we follow as well, because w- when Penn State's making these decisions as to do they have enough space, do they have the, you know, is this guy maybe not the top guy on your board, but hey, there's p- some position flexibility there. You know, no, not not a ton of, I, th- I think that's probably something we overanalyze is that a, a lot of these guys won't move positions once they get onto campus and people think that it happens more than it does. Um, but it's something that gives your roster flexibility and, and really at the 85 cap, we see how Penn State, how close Penn State is right now at the 85 cap. You want to bring in these guys that, uh, that have flexibility and that's at every position. I mean, they brought in Michael Johnson Jr. Well, knowing that, you know, he wasn't a polished quarterback, but maybe he could be a receiver. Um, you know, that obviously that hasn't worked out, but you know, you just got to look all over the, all over the board, all over your, your offer board at guys that can help you out in certain spaces because it's not, a, you know, you're going to have a log jam at spots where, you know, you can't play. CJ Thorpe right away, but you can flip him over and use him at tackle, something like that. So it's just uh, a an- little bit. An- another name to know here, Sean, and coming into with this class, wasn't going to get drafted this year, but maybe if we do this again next summer or down the road, he's a name in the conversation. Micah Bowens, you know, had him on the podcast last month and he talked about, you know, breaking into that Bishop Gorman lineup, one of the hardest high school lineups to get on the field for. He did that in the defensive backfield and really through his recruitment, he had schools calling him an athlete, maybe leaning towards defensive back and at the power five level. And, and he's another player who brings some versatility to the quarterback room. Uh, but not the. I, I don't think he's the athlete that Michael Johnson was, and, and he's you know. But I think he's maybe the closest um, in terms of of what they got in terms of a guy who maybe could contribute elsewhere on the football field. One name that that also is glaring for me that we we haven't mentioned you or I, and really the entire offseason has been mentioned much for a guy who is one year removed from coming to campus as a twenty four seven sports five star, Lance Dixon. He played a lot of spots on the high school field uh, for West Bloomfield. Safety, transitioning, moving up to be that true linebacker now. Uh, he was a pretty effective offensive player in high school as well. So he was another name that I thought may or may not get addressed during the draft. And it took a while to get to him, but I think he's also someone who warrants a little bit of attention. Yeah, I think linebackers kind of, for the most part, uh, went by the wayside with this. I, I think I've got, uh, yeah, one linebacker, one quarterback, one offensive You got a good one, though. Line- yeah, I've got, <laughs> I got a good one. But uh, yeah, those linebackers uh, are athletic and they are something. But just in terms of translating over, I mean, you you look at the, uh, you know, the positions that core late, you know, O-line, D-line, running back, linebacker, tight end, D-end, you know, quarterback could be probably a safety or something like that, receiver corner. You know, I mean, you don't have many options when you go from running or from linebacker to running back. So I think that's probably a victim of that. I thought about Dixon um, and and they're hoping he takes a step forward this year. You know, he's got to learn how to play the position, going to back up Brandon Smith at the Sam. That's a that's a lot of stars at one spot in the two deep. Um, but uh, he's he's got athletic potential. He's you know, he, he flashed some things last year on the scout team. They, of course, was he was one of those guys like Caden Wallace that they were going to play. And then they pulled back and just need a little bit more time to, to marinate as a linebacker. 
linebacker. So curious to see where he stands when everything gets back. I think he's still got that potential. I think he's still got that athleticism and speed. Um, but it's going to take a little bit more time for him to, to pick up the nuances of the position. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of competition there. Uh, I'd be remiss. I mean, you mentioned him a little bit ago, but Curtis Jacobs, uh, in that same mold is going to, you know, I'm not sure what he's going to do, but at some point I expect him to be a, a, a contributor, contributor at a high level. Um, you know, fantastic receiver in high school, just the best player on the field every time he was on the field. Um, so if that continues, that's, that's a good thing for Penn State. May have needed to get Mark involved here. So there's it's just like, you know, there's so many good names left out there. I'm like, man, I wish I could find a spot for him here. But you, you work with what you can, 11-man squad. That's why it was a great question. A huge shout out to, to the mailbag question, which took on a life of its own here and became an episode. And this is what we're going to encourage our listeners to do. If Again, the mailbag question doesn't have to be relegated to a two or three minute answer. It could end up taking the platform, particularly between now and the time where Penn State actually hits the field because uh, we, we're, we're going to want to dive into some different topics. And by the way, tip of the cap to some of the veterans, Antonio Shelton, Shaka Tony, Mike Miranda, Will Fries, guys that did not hear their name called here, maybe don't have that ceiling that we've talked about with some of the other players, but are going to be valuable, valuable assets for Penn State experienced players on the offensive and defensive line, respectively. Sean, we took up a huge amount of time for the draft, so mission accomplished. We'll get this uh, entire thing written out up on the site, have people poke and prod it, um, and, and, and we'll deal with the ramifications moving ahead from that. But quick commercial break. And we'll get into our mailbag. Got a couple questions to dive into there. A couple landing spots are now known for Penn State transfers. We'll wrap things up on the other side. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, the draft is over. We move on to some recent Penn State news from the last few days. Former Nittany Lions finding their next collegiate homes. Um, both of them entered college football as blue chip running backs. We'll see what lies ahead for them. Ricky Slade, uh, the former Penn State running back heading to Old Dominion. He will reunite with Ricky Ronnie. There had been rumors swirling about this, some reports out there. Slade confirming it on Friday afternoon. And then Monday evening, CJ Holmes, a one-time four-star prospect who signed with Notre Dame, ended up as a walk-on transfer with Penn State, shifting over to safety. It was kind of buried on that depth chart this year, uh, entering the spring and summer. He ends up at Kent State 
which is notable for a couple of reasons. One, you'd think that's probably a scholarship spot for, for CJ Holmes, who's going to be a redshirt junior here in 2020. And two, Kent State is the first opponent on Penn State's 2020 schedule. So uh, a couple of things that popped up there, Sean. And, and as always, we wish these guys well. Um, you know, especially for me, Ricky Slade got to interact with him a lot as a recruit. I know CJ Holmes a little bit from from his time as a recruit, but Slade is a guy. His family opened up their home to me for for an afternoon. Got to talk a lot to him before he made the move to Penn State. You always hate to see the dreams not come to fruition at the initial college spot, but. Tell you what, Old Dominion's an interesting fit, and I, I guess that refutes some people who say Ricky Ronnie ruined his career or, or some of the other kind of things we heard about uh, Ricky Ronnie impeding the progress of some players on this team because Slade does not shine away from his yeah, old coach. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good pickup for Ricky Ronnie, too, in terms of getting some some juice and some buzz going. I mean, Slade, well-respected in that area. I, I still think he's pretty good back. I mean, you, you look at w- yeah. where he needed to be for Penn State and just wasn't there, and, you know, is that at uh, – victim of timing of circumstance or or whatever what have you it you know it just didn't work out but i think that he can be very successful at old dominion i think old dominion you know you know if they're going to run that same sort of offense he he knows what he's doing and you know assuming he's able to get eligible right away which don't know if that's the the case or not because they're not fcs anymore but you know i think he can be very successful there so uh never had one problem with ricky slade uh he was obviously always really good to us and you know i think he's one of those guys he's, he's big for the program really helped uh, put together that class and you know that's uh you sort of tip your cap to him and go along your way by the way your cj holmes thing just gave me uh some some terrifying flashbacks about last year uh when john patrician uh, transferred to Pittsburgh oh my and you're thinking about, yeah. oh, does he give away all the secrets? And it's just like, I don't think we're there, man. And that obviously didn't, didn't happen too, uh, too much. So, uh, but CJ Holmes is going to go play safety for Kent State, uh, presumably on scholarship. It's not a follow up that I asked. I just assumed that he was there, but you know, maybe he's got an opportunity to, to break into that and to play some, uh, well liked on the team. Um, you know, good leadership. Uh, you know, it just wasn't a scholarship here for him and, you know, it just didn't, didn't really work out, but, when you take on a walk-on, especially a walk-on transfer, the the uh, risk versus reward is what it is, and and it just didn't work out, and no harm done. You got yourself a heck of a, a scout team running back back in 2018 when he was redshirting, and, and last year, uh, what eight or nine games he got in, primarily on special teams. So he did contribute during his time here, and and, and he'll head elsewhere to his third spot with a couple of years uh, left. And yeah, I mean, what can you say about Slade? This running back room, we're talking about it being maybe the best in the country. Um, sometimes you know you don't. You know the cream's going to rise to the top, but sometimes uh, you're you're not that guy in a group like this. And and Ricky Slade uh, looking elsewhere. But by the way, you can see the love between these guys isn't lost by any means. Uh, Journey Brown uh, among those tweeting out support for Ricky Slade, you know, saying look out for this guy in his new spot. And I saw something just a few days ago where where Journey Brown was was mentioned as one of the top running backs in the country. Ricky Slade retweeted that and, and said something like you know uh, you know lock it in that that he's going to have a huge season. So that's always great to see that when. A guys leaving town those relationships are still intact and um we'll see what happens for, for both slate and homes moving ahead transfer portal um just about wrapped up i think for for the 2020 year you would imagine we'll see what, what takes place this summer sean let's get into our five-star mailbag again address the the, the draft a great question uh, coming our way give give one more shout out to nittany lion fan seven uh, but we'll move on to a couple more here the first coming from psu perk 
And he says, in the event that the recruiting visit dead period is continued through the season and recruits are not able to take visits prior to signing day, do you envision a scenario in which all players from the 2021 class would be granted immediate eligibility waiver upon entering the transfer portal after the 2021 season. You know, I, I read this first as a joke and thinking that, you know, it, it's inevitable that this 2021 class, uh, you know, is going to end up in the portal, a good bit of them. And, and you know what? I think that I, I think that's very possible. I mean, based on what we've seen and the the amount of uh, interaction that they've had with these coaches and and the ability to get on campus has, has been detrimental to a lot of, of their recruitment. So, um, but, but if you take it, you know, seriously, it, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, to, to, for the lack of, of, I guess, resources that you've been able to put forth to this 2021 class, it's mind boggling to think that these decisions are being made without seeing campus, without seeing anything like that. And, you know, I, everybody has their own thing and I'm not saying there's, there's, there's poor decisions out there or anything like that, but there's going to be some buyer's remorse, um, on the part of these, uh, on the part of a lot of these 2021 kids. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we do see a, uh, you know, a, a strong move to the portal and I think you have grounds for immediate eligibility there. I mean, I, I know you kind of, or have the old school mentality that you, you get what you get and you don't get upset and you get all this kind of, uh, you know, you, you make your decision and live with it type thing. But at the same time, this is a very different circumstance. This is not something that anyone ever envisioned. And it's really taken a whole cycle away from these guys. And, you know, it's unfortunate for the 2021 guys that they have to do this. And and we'll see how this um, really affects the timeline because, you know, I still think you're going to have the December signing period. And what's interesting about that is, I don't think a ton of the class, especially at Penn State, is going to be affected by the December versus February, all that kind of uh, of typical conversation, because a lot of these guys are are locked in. And I think that's the way across the country. When we talk about a big flip season, you know, it's a smaller percentage, but it's, you know, it's it's that's still a lot of guys. Um, from a Penn State perspective, they want to get as many of these guys signed by December. But I could see this, you know, drawing out to February and beyond. I mean, you don't have to sign by February 3rd or whatever uh, the signing date is. This is something that can drag out until you enroll the following year. So it'll be interesting to see. And Tyler and I were talking about it on, you know, off, uh, off camera or whatever um, you want to call it before the episode. Could you, you know, foresee a situation where these official visits, you know, maybe you don't get to have them in the fall or before that December signing period. Could you see that extending into the spring next year? And I think that's a very legitimate conversation to have. We've seen guys, and, and this isn't a rule that I've brushed up on because you never really have to deal with it, but we've seen Kevin Givens, we've seen uh, Torrance Brown and Christian Campbell take their official visits in April, which to me says that you can extend that as long as you need to for an official visit. So do we see 2021 kids still on the board next March, next April, um, and potentially taking more of these visits and waiting it out? I, I think it's certainly possible. I mean, we're in an unprecedented situation where we're, none of us saw this coming for to, to the extent that it's gone so far. Could that happen? I mean, certainly open up to anything because uh, really anything can happen. Those guys you mentioned, like Kevin Givens, had signed already before those official visits. I'm curious if you could have a four-star wide receiver in the stands at the blue-white game next April watching the team, watching the wide receivers very closely and still not making, not have made a decision yet. Uh, and that, that, you know, that could be really, uh, 
surreal. I mean, quite frankly, it's just something that we we could never really anticipate. And do you see 22 or 2022 and 2021 recruits using official visits on the same weekend? And what kind of impact could that have? Maybe you can get teammates from the same high school who are a year apart. There's a lot to dive into there. And I think the one thing that that is going to be very much uh, scrutinized in this process and is going to be those early enrollees because there's not really an answer for them. If they want to get on campus, a campus in January, they're going to have to sign in December and have a decision locked up if they want to be enrolled at a school, taking classes and engaged as a student athlete at that level. So they may be out of luck here for now. No recruiting in-person visits through August. Obviously, the season is now at stake in terms of being able to go visit during the season. It's what all the prospects have told us. I'll make my officials during the season. If that's not on the table, then yeah, we could be looking at a big spring of visits and maybe a huge, huge wave of transfers for this class because uh, when you have to go up and say, well, why are you transferring? You can say, remember that pandemic that happened? I couldn't visit any schools, prevented me from doing that. I had to, I, I was relegated to this option. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And now I think I deserve the opportunity to explore my collegiate horizons just as every single recruiting class that predated me had the chance to do. It was taken away from our class. Please allow me to pursue a transfer so I can make visits to other campuses. You know, are you going to really rule against that? Because if you rule against that, that's going to be a blanket ruling and a lot of guys are going to be angry and the NCAA is going to be under fire once again. So a good question from PSU Perk. We've seen more from less. I mean, it, it's uh, it's to me, it's not a no brainer because you got to take into account, you know, a couple of different things. Uh, but if you're not allowed to visit a campus and interact with coaches and figure this out stuff out and, and then maybe you get on campus and, you know, you don't fit in as well as you thought you did, or or you don't fit into the coaches' plans, and and God forbid there's a coaching change at the end of this uh, this season. I mean, that's there's so many things that you can just throw in there, and it's going to be uh, I don't want to call it a mess, but it has the potential to be uh, really really crazy for a couple of years uh, going out from from signing day. The NCAA and its coaches like to call these forty year decisions. You hear that all the time. It's not four years; it's forty years. If it truly is a 40-year decision, you've got to give these guys a chance to have their due diligence in finding the right fit, something that we'll be monitoring very closely. One more question for the mailbag, and then we'll wrap things up. From Beck25, he says, Living in Ohio, I am so ready for a win against Ohio State. Hearing you guys talk about Micah Parsons got me pumped up for this game. Other than Parsons having a monster performance, is there anything else you can envision rising up to secure the win? I think he says, is there, yeah, is there anyone else you can envision rising up to help secure the win? The first name that comes to mind to me, and and this really applies to every big game this year is Sean Clifford. Um, you've seen quarterback play make the difference. You know, McSorley delivered a virtuoso performance a few years back, but that game's remembered because of a couple long-distance touchdown passes that Dwayne Haskins pulled out late in the fourth quarter against the tired Penn State defense the year before. It was Ohio State's quarterback again, JT Barrett, absolutely going on fire in the second half, particularly in the fourth quarter during the comeback. And uh, last year, Justin Fields was able to bury Penn State you know, pretty early because of his abilities as a runner and a passer. To me, it's that quarterback spot for Penn State. If Sean Clifford can deliver a strong game, and I mean really take control, uh, you know that, that would be the most obvious step toward me to securing a victory against Ohio State. 
You're always uh, very happy to remind people of these things with the Justin Fields and the JT Barretts and all this. It's just – I'd like to put on record that's Tyler Donahue. Um, so if you want to send your, your feedback to him, go for it. TD, the the yeah, Rutgers graduate, taken. yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, I don't think there's any question that this one's on Clifford. I mean, you look at the game last year and there were two big differences and that was at quarterback and at wide receiver. And, you know, Ohio State had decided advantages there. And you know what? Penn State didn't play poorly out there and, of course, played Played with a backup quarterback for for part of that game, um, but I mean, you look at that and you think maybe the gap's not as big as you think. Now, obviously, you know Ohio State's one of the top teams in the country; should be a preseason what top two team, um, if not number one. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of that's got to be on Clifford. I mean, the, a lot of it's got to be on Clifford, but consistently you want to see that running game go. And I think this is an Ohio State team that you can run on, uh, that Journey Brown can have a chance to, to break some stuff on. Uh, very fast defense, as it always is. But, you know, you've got an opportunity to have a really good um, – to take one of your strengths, which should be the offensive line, and put it up against Ohio State, which O-line. is still re- yep. rebuilding that defensive line. So I think that that's that, – you know, we, we may, maybe we'll overanalyze Sean Clifford, and we'll continue to do that all the way up because – you know, it is a position w- worth being under scrutiny when you're ta- when you're talking about a college football playoff uh, type roster. But I mean, you, I think the running game is really under the microscope. And if they're hitting, I mean, you've seen teams that have run on Ohio State before and just out of nowhere. I mean, the, you think about the Maryland game a couple years ago with Anthony McFarland and um, Iowa when they went out there to Kinnick and lost. I mean, you know, if you can run on Ohio State and knock them out of their level, uh, out of their uh, you know element. Um, you've got an opportunity to, to take that win. So I think that the running game, as much as we're going to talk about Clifford, and absolutely that's my first answer as well, but the running game is something that, that that really could turn the tide, especially in a situation where you're not sure what that atmosphere is going to look like. You're not sure w- what the season's going to look like, to be honest with you. Um, so that running game can be so vital. And if you can play off that strength, which is expected to be, you know, Kirk Shiraka's ability to run the football, you know, behind an offensive line that should be stronger, I mean, that's, uh, you know, you, you don't have too many advantages over Ohio State, but that could be one of them. O-line's such a key. And, and it's not like we haven't seen guys rise up. Lamont Wade probably played the best game of his high, of his college career at, in Columbus last year. Yitor Gross Matos had two and a half sacks before halftime last year, ended up injured. But yeah, the offensive line as a unit, collectively, quick scroll down memory lane again, unable to run out the clock, back-to-back years against Ohio State. And then last year, whether it was Clifford or Levis, they were a dead man walking a lot back in the pocket because Chase Young and company were able to crash in and really just completely confuse and and crush any hopes for Penn State to, to get the ball downfield in a passing attack. So yeah, establishing that run and being able to close out a game running the football effectively, that has been the bugaboo for Penn State against the Buckeyes, I feel like, in key moments. And that's, that's a great point with that offensive line. Sean, we really lean heavy on, on our listeners. I want to give another thank you to them because some really interesting questions here. We got more to get to. This was just the few that we got to. Keep them coming, please. And if you want us to explore something that could take you know a big chunk of the episode again, like the draft we did today, throw it up there. there there's, there's no wrong answers on that five-star review as long as it starts with a five-star review and rating. Whatever follows, hey, we're, we're up for it. We'll see what we can, how we can fit it in to the podcast moving ahead. That's going to do it for this episode. Sean, I'm looking at my uh, roster here. I know you're looking at yours. Good luck sorting through this thing and figuring out where you're going to put your guys. We'll get that up on the site when we figure that out. 
I mean, let's be honest. It's an easy vote for me, um, but uh, you know, you know, you can you can take time to look at the rosters if you want to. But I'm feeling pretty good about my squad. Like I said, a lot of talent on this roster, and I know that the hypotheticals aren't our thing, and hypotheticals aren't some people's thing. But I think there's a lot of value. <clears throat> excuse me, if you skipped over that, there's a lot of value in what we talked about in terms of uh, just seeing what the roster looks like, and, and there's a couple nuggets uh, sprinkled in through there about uh, how some of these guys look. So I did, if you did skip over it, I, I recommend recommend you go back and check it out. It's a nice little, uh, you know, if you got a lawn to mow or something today, like I do, uh, it's a nice little time uh, time waster. So uh, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you wasting your time with us. We know how valuable your time is, but we appreciate the listens. We appreciate the follows and, you know, we'll get into July and who knows what July is going to bring, but, uh, you know, we'll be here for, for a couple episodes a week. So thanks for following along. And I think by Wednesday, it will kick off July, you know, putting those uh, putting those rosters up on the site, give you all a chance to vote. We'll let you know how the vote turns out. Uh, in our Friday episode later in the week. We should have some more insight on how Christian Veyu is handling himself at the Elite 11 Finals, and whatever pops up along the way between now and then we'll be sure to address on the next episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. For now, stay informed on Lions247.com. Take advantage of 30% off an annual VIP membership, $1 for one month. Join us on our VIP. Sean's got a great chat underway on Monday going throughout the week. A lot of stuff you will not hear on the podcast. Talk to you soon. On behalf of Sean, I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.